0: We now begin our look at this last section of Psalm 119, starting at verse 169. It's focused on the Hebrew letter Tav. And you'll notice that this great psalm, this largest of the Psalms, this biggest of the chapters of the entire Bible, it it ends in a very interesting way, a way that you might not have expected but I think it's very significant. Verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Very interesting how he begins this section with this cry. First of all, let my cry come before you. And secondly, give me understanding according to your word. The cry, of course, was an expression of prayer. He's crying out to God in prayer. It's a plea. What is he asking for from God? He says, God, give me understanding according to your word. He wanted his thoughts his understanding to be brought into conformity with the word of God. It's as if he wanted to be transformed according to the renewing of his mind. This is very much the same kind of thought that the Apostle Paul expressed in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he wrote this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. The psalmist wanted his understanding of life and of the world shaped, that is transformed by the word of God. And said, so you're going to understand this world some way. You're going to make sense of it somehow. Maybe you'll do it just from what you inherited and you grew up with in your home. Maybe you'll do it based on the education you received. Maybe you'll do it based on a peer group. Maybe you'll do it based on what's on the television set or the radio. Maybe you'll do it from a dozen other different sources. Or you can say, Lord, give me understanding according to your word. God, the way you think, that's how I want to think. Now, please, we understand this, that nobody achieves that perfectly on this side of eternity, right? Right? Nobody here is infallible. Nobody thinks God's thoughts after God perfectly. But to the best of our ability, we can come to God's word and simply say, Lord, transform my thinking. Renew my mind according to your word. What's so important about this is that it is God's word that tells us the truth. I know that's not a very... You know, modern thing to say, or maybe I should say it's not a very postmodern thing to say that God's Word gives us the truth, but it's true. It's truth. The way the world is, the way things actually are, this is what this is described for us in the Word of God. And so he says, Give me understanding according to your Word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your Word. Now, again, this is another reference to prayer by the psalmist. That This time, it's a prayer for deliverance, according to your word. He wanted deliverance, but he only wanted it as it would be consistent with God's revealed word and will. He did not want an unrighteous deliverance or an unwise deliverance. Now, this is a testing point, is it not? Because sometimes when we have endured a difficult trial for a long time, don't we sometimes virtually call out to God, God, I don't care what you do, just get me out of this. (laughs) You know, if the devil were to come along and say, I'll get you out of this, we might just say, well, yes, please, just get me out of this. But no, to be able to say this, Lord, deliver me. But deliver me according to your will, according to your word, I should say. I want it to be in conformity with your revelation, with your will. I don't want a way out that goes against your word. No, Lord, I want to do it only, only under obedience to you. And you can also say this, that he asked for this deliverance according to the promises of God's word. Don't you think it has some of that flavor as well when he says this? According to your word, deliver me according to your word. He says, Lord, deliver me according to your word because you said you would deliver me. Do it, God. You've made promises of salvation and deliverance and goodness to me. Fulfill those. I I, I like how he says this here. It's a little comment by a man named Cowper. He says, many prayers has he made to God. Speaking of the psalmist. Many prayers has he made to God in this psalm Now, in the end, he prays for his prayers that the Lord would let them come before him. And I suppose sometimes I've had to do that, haven't you? We've had to pray for our prayers. Lord, I just can't pray. Lord, would you help me to pray? Lord, I'm praying for my prayers right now. And God will hear those. Now, starting at verse 171. My lips shall utter praise... For you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. You see, the psalmist wanted his words, that is, his lips, his tongue, to both praise God and to speak of his word. He knew that often words are either wicked or vain or both. And he says, No, Lord, I don't want these lips of mine to utter words that are wicked or vain. I want them to utter words that bring you glory, that praise God and speak of his word. Now, he had confidence in this prayer because he says, My lips shall utter praise, for you shall teach me your statutes. His lips could praise God because they had been taught the word of God and taught by God himself. Notice this the psalmist's lips did not praise God by nature. He had to be taught God's truth and taught from God himself. Also, the word of God informed his praise. It made his praise more intelligent. You know, try this one on, you know, your wife sometime. Give her unintelligent praise. What I mean this is you could just say to your wife, I love you. And what will your wife sometimes say? Well, why do you love me? What do you love about me? This is a very perplexing question for a husband, is it not? <laughs> a man who might have had the, the eloquence of Shakespeare in his head a moment before that suddenly finds himself unable to speak at all. And, and about all he can say is, well, I, I love you because I, I love you, or something like that. Now listen, we would all admit, and in defense of the men, that's better than nothing, is it not? (laughs) But isn't sometimes the praise we offer to God just kind of not sufficient in that way? I love you, God. I praise you. Could you fault God for, for at least thinking back to us, Well, what do you love about me? Why? Now again, if we were right along with the psalmist, If we were on the same train of thought as the psalmist, where he would say, uh, my lips shall utter praise, where you teach me your statutes, we would say, oh God, I praise you, because you've given me the gift of righteousness in your Son, because you created all the worlds, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, because you reign between the cherubim, on and on and on, knowing... That God's word gives us so many reasons. I, I would almost say infinite, but I, I don't know if you could quite say infinite. Let's just say more than can be counted reasons to praise God. And this is the sort of praise that we should offer to God. Intelligent praise. I don't mean the praise academic or from the laboratory in that sense. But I mean intelligent in the sense that it's thought out. That, that, that it has substance to it. Because, because we have been informed by his great word verse now 173. He says, let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. You, you see, he, he had such great praise for God in the previous section, even saying in verse 172, for all your commandments are righteous. He knew the, the purity and the power of God's word. So now in verse 173, he can cry out and he says, Let your hand become my help. The psalmist felt that he could boldly ask for God's help because he had chosen to love and to keep the word of God. You know, we need God's hand to be our help, right? Doesn't it sort of remind you of Peter? Peter? when he was walking on the water, right? And he began to sink. And what was his prayer? One of the great eloquent prayers of the Bible. What did he say? Lord, help me. I can't remember. Did he say, I'm sinking? I don't know if he said it or not. It was obvious, was it not? But he certainly said, Lord, help me. This is what the psalmist said as well. And when Peter cried out and said, Lord, help me, what did Jesus do? He extended his hand out towards Peter. God will extend his hand towards us in our time of need. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. These two expressions go together. Because God's salvation is from and according to his word, then it's very natural for him to delight in God's word as he longed for God's salvation. Do you long for God's salvation? It's totally legitimate for you to do this. You understand, of course, that the Bible tells us that there are three senses in which we're saved. The New Testament tells us that we have been saved. And this is a precious thing for the believer to rest upon, right? Oh, Lord, you have saved me. But then the Bible also tells us in the New Testament that we are being saved. That it's a process, that it's a work that God is at work doing within us right now at the moment. I'm being saved. He's working his salvation in me day by day. And then it gives us the third tense, not only in the past, not only in the present, but it also tells us that we will be saved. Now that third sense—the sense that we will be saved that day when our salvation will be complete—because I, I suppose you're aware, I certainly am, that my salvation is not yet complete. I don't have that resurrection body that I long for. I don't have everything that's going to come that certain day. Right? It's a waiting coming into heaven someday. I'll get it. I know I will. But I long for that salvation. I long for it to come. And I believe that it will, don't you? And so the same way we say, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Now verse 175. Let my soul live and it shall praise you and let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant For I do not forget your commandments. In verse 175, the psalmist recognized that his soul needed life from God and guidance from God. And we really need both, don't we? Your soul, first of all, needs life from God. If you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you need God to bring you life. We need to be made alive, born again by him. Lord, bring me life by your word. But then once having been given life, we need guidance. We need to know the right way to go. We need the right steps to take. Our soul will gain life and guidance from the word of God. And with this combination of life and guidance, we we will build a healthy relationship with God. Now, It's very interesting that the end section of the great psalm emphasizes the psalmist's great need for God and his dependence upon God. His love for God, his dedication to the word of God, it hasn't made him more spiritually independent, but more spiritually dependent upon God. Look at this section. What does he need from God? Look at verse 169. He needs understanding from God. Look at verse 170. He needs deliverance from God. Look at verses 171 and 172. He needs God to help him to worship him rightly. Verses 173 and 174 tell us that he needs power from God to live an upright life. And then finally in verse 175, he needs help from God to have the strength to persevere. Isn't it fascinating that here at the end of this great psalm, the psalmist is more dependent upon God than ever. Now, this really speaks to my heart. Because the way we normally live our lives, this is very counterintuitive. When a person is mature, when they're full grown, they have a large measure of independence in their life, right? Right? They can handle their own lives. They don't need mother and father to make decisions for them anymore or to supervise. But, you know, one mark of somebody who's really mature is that they can be independent with their life. Maturity sort of equals independence, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the more mature you are spiritually, the more dependent you will be upon God. You, you will depend on him more, not less. So I find it fascinating that the psalmist who loved God and loved his word so much, now at the end of the psalm, he seems more desperate, more dependent upon God than ever. So I, I have a word of, of gentle exhortation. To, to some of you, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time certainly by no means a young Christian. You you might be young in years, but you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You're not a young Christian anymore. Have you somehow got it in your mind that spiritual maturity would mean that you'd be less dependent upon God? No, that needs to be turned around. You need to recognize that it should make you more dependent upon him. And then he goes on here saying very powerfully in verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. This great psalm ends on a very touching note. The psalmist remembers his own frailty and his own sinful tendencies. I'm astray like a lost sheep. Therefore, God, seek after me. Listen, this is a confession, is it not? He realized that he's weak. He realizes that he's imperfect. And he says, God, I need you to work in this imperfect life of mine. And again, to me, it's very comforting to find this at the end of the book or the end of the psalm. The, uh, the you, you, you would almost think of, yeah, I love God's word so much that I'm pretty spiritually with it. Lord, what about all those other people? That's not his attitude at all, isn't it? his growing closer to God and deeper in his word has driven him to his knees. Martin Luther said on this verse, This verse is extremely emotional and full of tears, for truly we are all this going astray, so that we must pray to be visited, sought, and carried over by the most godly shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God-blessed forever. Amen. And Spurgeon said on this, I like it. He said that the psalmist didn't think of himself as a dog who can somehow find his way home. Isn't that interesting? A dog, if he's lost, a lot of times he can find his way home, right? Not a sheep. If a sheep's lost, forget it. Never find its way home. No, no, a sheep will go further and further away from home. So he says, no, Lord, I'm like a lost sheep, but I'm still a sheep. And I'm your sheep. You're my shepherd. I'm precious in your sight. And therefore seek after me to keep me close to you. That's what he says there. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. God sought for his servant in his word. Now look. You may have never thought of it this way, but I'm happy to explain it to you. You seek after God in his word, do you not? God seeks after you in his word. When you read his word with an open and especially a prayerful heart, you will find you not only seeking after God, you will find God seeking after you. He tests us with his word. He encourages us with his word. He strengthens us with his word. He rebukes us with his word. He helps us. He teaches us. He gives us understanding. He protects us. God seeks you in the word. So listen, if you want God to find you, here's a great meeting place. You can seek for him, and he will seek after you in the word. You know, in my years, I've traveled a lot, especially the years we lived in Europe. We always seem to be on the go and visiting different places and meeting with different people. And we learned the, the custom of finding a meeting point, right? There's a meeting point at a train station or an airport or a city square, some landmark, or sometimes that's exactly what it's called, a meeting point. And you establish that ahead of time and you can always find the meeting point and you'll find the person you're looking for because they know that you'll meet them at that place. Is this not one of our important meeting points with God? I won't say that it's the only one, but it's certainly an important one. You will seek after God in this book and he will seek after you. You see, this psalm ends on the reminder that the power and the greatness of God's word doesn't rest only in its literary brilliance. No, the greatness and the glory of God's word is in the fact that it comes to us and he comes and seeks us in and through his word. Here's a beautiful final statement here from a commentator named Beutcher. He says, I do not think that there could possibly be a more appropriate conclusion of such a psalm as this, so full of the varied experience and the ever-changing frames and feelings even of a child of God, in the sunshine and in the cloud, in the calm and in the storm, than this ever-clinging sense of his propensity to wander and the expression of his utter inability to find his way back without the Lord's guiding hand to restore him. Listen, God's hand will guide you back and restore him. Come and meet with him. You're meeting with him right now. He's speaking to you, he's loving on you right now. Let the Lord speak to your heart about ways that maybe you've gone astray. Maybe you've gone astray, not so much in some area of moral conduct. People seem to immediately think that way when we talk about going astray. Listen. Many of us go on astray in ways of fear or unbelief or doubting God's love for us. No, no, no. Receive, receive him. He'll seek after you tonight in and through his word. Let's just let him love on us as we love on him through worship. Father, we thank you for this great song. We thank you, Lord, for these many weeks when we've been able to go through it at such a leisurely pace, Lord. But Father, we we find ourselves in the same place as the psalmist. We say at the end of this, Lord, that we have gone astray like lost sheep, and we say, seek your servants. Won't you seek after us, God? Be a little relentless with us, Lord. because we love you. And even when we stray away, Lord, we, we value the knowledge that we're your sheep. Thank you, O Great Shepherd. And Lord, birth in us the kind of humility that the psalmist had. His deep and profound spiritual experience, it never seemed to make him proud. But very humble, very contrite before you. That's how we want it in our lives. Work this in us, Lord, in Jesus' name.